Good morning, City Life, City Lifers, visitors. Thank you all for joining. Thanks for coming along and worshiping with us. If you're new, if you've been around a little bit, if you've just been hiding without ever saying hi, uh, reach out, say hi, connect with us with the I'm new. Um, our, our prompts, our links are all going to be in the notes section here. So click on the notes. We want, we want to hear from you. We want to get to know you. We want to invite you to the things that we do. We're having a worship night like we just said coming up. We, we just want to connect with you, be a church uh, as best we can right now in person or remotely uh, as best we can right now. Whatever we have, we're going to use for the sake of spreading the gospel. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Pedro Reese and I am the lead pastor here at City Life. And we are in our Beatitude series, and so let's start with this. See, over the years of being in ministry, I have gotten all sorts of questions. I, I love questions. I personally have questions all the time. If we're like talking for more than a couple minutes, I probably have like at least 40 questions in my head going at once. And so I, quite, I love questions, and I love when people bring me good questions. And some questions are so good and they're so honest, like you can really tell that this person is looking for something, is searching for something, they've thought something through, they've had some experiences, like they're usually just like, okay, you're, like, you're really coming from a vulnerable, genuine place and I, I really respect that and uh, I'm going to entertain, I'm going like, to meet your genuineness with even more genuous, genuineness from me. And then also we get some like, I've heard a lot of questions that were like mocking questions, questions that aren't genuine, that come from a bad place, that are trying to start a fight or get me in a gotcha moment. And I, I, I try my best always with those type of questions. But a, a really famous pastor, his name is John Piper, he calls those type of questions, he calls them crutch questions. And that's where we're going to start today. It's like oh, this crutch. And this question is, is Christianity just a crutch for people who can't get by on their own? And so like, that's the heart of many people's questions. People who aren't asking out of genuine places. is like they're just really trying to figure out how can you be so dumb to believe in this? Like, really, What about you makes you so, like, so searching for something that you believe in anything? And over the years, whenever I've gotten these questions, I've just learned to get to a place when someone's like, is Christianity a crutch? I've come to this place where I answer the, what I truly believe. I say, yes. Plainly, just yes. Christianity is a crutch. And not for the reasons that are being implied in the question. You know, Christians aren't just this like, group of extra gullible people. Like people who will just like, believe in anything, who will, like crave satisfaction, who crave just having something to make us feel good. There's no hidden gene in, the Christian, in a Christian person that's like, okay, uh, I am more easily swayed by stories or by fairy tales or like believing in whatever we want. We just want comfort. No. Also, Christians aren't like more broken people. There are plenty of profoundly broken people that will never believe in Christ for many reasons. And we're also not like people who would like be extra swayed by like Jedi mind tricks. We're not mentally weak. It's nothing about that. But faith in Jesus is a crutch in that like I realize that I am broken and I am hurt and I need something to hold me up while I heal. 
It's like, I, I, Jesus, like I, every time I've gone to Jesus for healing, for answers, for solutions, like every time I pray specifically in his name or I go after him or I look in scripture, he is able to offer me something real that actually saves me. You know, back in, in high school, I broke my foot and I was, on a, I was in casts and crutches for many, many months. And like those crutches, I leaned on them they, and they allowed me to heal. They gave my body the support to heal. And so Christianity isn't a crutch in that it's like this made up thing that weak people lean on. It's like, no, it's this thing that broken people, people who are aware of their brokenness and then who meet Jesus, lean on to find true, profound healing. It's not that I'm especially broken. It's not that I am like just this person who just like needs satisfaction right now. I'm this person who has gone to the end of me and has given Jesus a shot and he's proven to me that he's faithful. And one of the reasons why faith in Jesus is so hard for so many is for this very reason. Because faith in Jesus directly flies in the face of probably the biggest religion this world worships, which is the self, which is self-esteem, which is self-sufficiency. So believing in Jesus fundamentally is me getting to this place where I'm like, okay, I am broken, I am wretched, I am unclean, And I've also learned that I cannot do anything to bring myself wholeness. You know, Christianity isn't isn't a group of winners. It's not this winner's club like a pastor from the city was reminding me when I met with him last week. It's not that we're all winners. It's that we are able to know how broken we are and then how much we need Christ. And one of the first things that the book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark, shows Jesus saying, one one of the very first things, is in Mark chapter 2, verses 17, where he says this. He says, Those who are well have no need for, of a physician, but those who are sick. I come not to call the righteous, but to the sinners. Today in our Beatitude series, we're covering Beatitude number one, which is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And today, as we talk about this road to living a life that is deeply profoundly satisfied, that has peace, that is characterized by this state of happiness. Remember, not the emotion of happiness all the time, but this state of being happy. We start with saying, you know what, it's not about self-sufficiency. It's not about my pride. It's actually the opposite. It's about realizing the ends of me and that I need someone outside of me, someone or something outside of me to help me. And so there's a word in here for Christians. Christians, hear this today. This is a reminder that should go down to your heart to say, live like you know that you're small and broken. Christian, you're small and you are broken. You've met Christ, the one who can heal you. But your healing is not here all the way yet. Live your life out in brokenness, knowing that you are. Be poor in spirit. That's a good thing. And there's also a word here for non-Christians, people who don't call themselves Christians. And the word here, and, I'm, and I want to shape this and say this as lovingly, as pastorally as I can. I want to shape this as like graciously as I heard it when I was younger. He's saying, you know what? You can never have true peace with God unless you realize how broken you are and that you need Him for your healing. 
I'll say that again. Like you, you need to realize to have peace with the Lord that you are broken, that you cannot fix yourself, and that you need Him for your healing. We'll break both of these things down and talk about why this is a good thing and not a bad thing. But before we go in there, let's pray, and then we'll read God's Word, and then we'll go forward from there. And so please uh, pray with me. Lord, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for just how good you are to each and every single one of us, Lord. Lord, we are all broken. We are broken. That is the reality, that we are incomplete, that we're always not satisfied. But Lord, uh, we, we believe that life with you brings satisfaction, One, a satisfaction that we cannot even explain when asked at times. So Lord, uh, help us to know this more deeply. Put this word, like, what does it mean to be poor in spirit and how can we dive in headfirst into it? Lord, we love you. The Holy Spirit, I invite you here into the preaching of your word, into the hearing of your word, and then the living out of your word so that we can be a people who look different, who take up this calling to be this counterculture. Lord, we love you. Please be with us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's read God's word. Last week we read all of the Beatitudes, and then starting from here, we're going to read up all the way up to the Beatitude that we're on that week. And so Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 says this, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's first talk about what it means to be poor in spirit. You see, there are, there are a lot of ways to explain what poor of spirit means. I can be up here for a very long time and actually not move anything from your head into your heart or from your head into the way that you live your life or even think about your relationship with Jesus or the posture of your heart. Uh, but let, let's start with this. Mother Teresa shares this story. Like One time she came to the United States of America and uh, she came specifically to New York, the financial capital of one of the financial capitals of the world, like the center of so much culture of so much wealth, of so many things that we are proud of as Americans, right? And she came there and she shocked the person that was interviewing her when she said that this was the poorest place that she had ever been to. That our poverty of spirit is so much greater than the poverty she experiences in Calcutta. I was like, well, this, this should like really cause us to pause a second. It should cause all of us to be like, Lord, what does it really mean then to be poor in spirit? has nothing to do with how much money you have in a bank account, though the poor monetarily seem to be more in touch often with how poor they are and how their dependence on Christ. But Jesus isn't talking about a bank account. He's not talking about a career. He's not talking about that stuff. He's talking about blessed are the poor in spirit. So Lord, what is that really so that we can know that we are poor in spirit? And one of the ways to say is like, is this humble dependence on God? It's like realizing that I am nothing. Like, Pedro, you're nothing. Like, you really are nothing. And you, you bring very little to the table. Not to demean myself, not to be hateful, but like, look, Pedro, like, compared to this holy, awesome, big, universal God, it's like, ah, oh, I'm very little. I am very little compared to a God. I, and I'm very broken compared to this God. Another way is to say the Old Testament says this, that is like a, a person who is poor in spirit has a contrite heart. 
This is an idea like that our hearts like just really fundamentally are aware of how incomplete we are, of how broken our hearts are, of how like they yearn all the time. And they're like never naturally satisfied on their own, but our hearts, like we know that we're lacking something at every moment. And also like my heart knows that I should be repenting over the the sins that I commit all the time. And so this contrite heart like really gets it who I am. Someone who is poor in spirit also knows their humanity and like the truest sense of what that means, that us as a race, as people, we are broken and we need to accept that like we're not predisposed to good, but we are like predisposed to evil. Our bent is always evil, like ethically, morally, we are just always looking out for ourselves. And I and you, we're like a couple of bad days away from doing something that I never thought I would be capable of or being some, or like being someone that I like never could picture myself being. I'm just a few days away from people doing bad things to my family for me to turn into this person that I never thought I would be. That like my natural event is always to look after me and my own and what's good for me. But we all have evil in our back, back pockets. And what I mean by that is that uh, I, I learned this in this story. One of the things that you hear me talk about often is like my racial, uh, my racial identity growing up was really hurt, really broken, and really just like searching for answers. Because you know, I'm physically white, but I come, I'm an immigrant, and I come from a part of the world that many people don't know you can be white from that part of the country. And as like, I was really hurting growing up and trying to understand who I was racially. It was a real big source of pain. And so I always lived in between worlds. Like I'm physically white, but I, I, don't f- I feel so different. And I remember going to college. And the hall that I lived on was really active. We always hung out together. We did a lot. And the guy who was in the dorm room right next to me, we were friend, friendly. He wasn't my best friend. I didn't know him all that well. He was a bit younger than me. But I, I remember this instant when someone in the hall pranked him. And I don't remember being a part of it. But he came up to me. He was furious. He came up. For some reason, he thought I was involved. He thought it was me. He looked at me and he said, he demanded, he got in my face. He demanded his stuff back and he said, he called me a spick. And I just remember like, number one, being shocked that he would do that. And number two, I was like, wow, like you really had that in your back pocket all this time. And you just knew, oh, I can pull it out whenever I need to. So you, you, you thought you were superior to me because of where I was from, which already doesn't make sense. But to me, it's like you kept this and you like fueled this in your heart. You knew you had this in your pocket and you would use it if you needed to. And I was like, wow, like to me, that spoke so much about our condition as fallen people. And I was like, wow, like we all, our race, our people, all of us, like we are incomplete Someone who is powerlessness, uh, who is poor in spirit, knows the powerlessness that we have in ourselves. It's like, it's this realization. It's like, Lord, I sin. And I sin all the time. And I do many of the same sins over and over and over again. I feel like Paul so many times when he's like, I do the things that I don't want to do. And I don't do the things that I know I should be doing. And like, I, we're caught in this cycle. It's like, I repeat some of the sins of my, my ancestors and I keep them going And I don't want to, but I just know that I do. And you get to this point where I realize, like, Lord, the answer isn't coming from me. 
I can read every self-help book. I can like subscribe to a self-help brand of Christianity, but I know it won't do anything because the answer is not coming from in here. This thing is broken. My heart is broken. The answer needs to come from outside of me. Christ, like Christ, I, I believe that you're the answer to everything. And so I need you to come and invade even my heart, my soul, my spirit, and just change me fundamentally. Someone who is poor in spirit knows that it's not coming from themselves. Someone who is poor in spirit acknowledges that they are spiritually bankrupt, that they are helpless, and acknowledge something that is really difficult. I am not saying that this is easy, but the difficult truth that next to, in front of a holy, pure, loving, spotless God, I do deserve nothing but wrath and judgment. That out there, there are people who rightfully need, have a claim to justice against me. And that breaks my heart to realize and to say out loud, but I was like, yeah, I have wronged people, and they have legitimate claims that God will need to deal with me. I need to repent like a Lord. I, I deserve judge, judgment. And that's something that the world does not want to believe, but like, Lord, I, I believe that. Uh, I, there's this like beautiful hymn, it's called The Rock of Ages, and, and part of it, one of the verses says this, it says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look for thee for grace. Vile, to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. It's like someone who is poor in spirit knows that song intimately and sings it over themselves all the time because I know that I am broken and I know that they're, that I am incomplete. That I have all of these rivaling thoughts and desires and passions in me. And it's like, Lord, I know I can't do this without you. I need you to save me. And so all of this is to say that someone who is poor in spirit is like really keenly aware and in touch with the fact that they are just poor, that the answers aren't coming from within, that we need Jesus to come and save us. Some uh, famous quotes from famous people just to prove that I did some reading about this and that this is not just my ideas. John Calvin wrote, he wrote this, he said, He only who is reduced to nothing in himself and relies on the mercy of God is poor in spirit. I like that. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he said, the way to rise in the kingdom is to sink in ourselves. I like that too. I just, uh, I just have come to realize something new in this sermon series. So we are all poor in spirit, right? That is the reality. Part of why this is good is because it's just real. All of us are poor in spirit. All of us are broken. But while we are all broken, not everyone is blessed in their brokenness. Not everyone who is poor in spirit is blessed in it because we need to bring this to Jesus. And someone who is really poor in spirit isn't afraid of when God stands up and rightfully says in passages like Isaiah 41, 14, it says, Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. Like, that doesn't scare me. That doesn't put me down. I know that I'm a worm. I'm the first one to say, like, I am incomplete. I am a worm. Like, God, compared to you, I am nothing. The fact that you would ever even think of me is special. I know that I am a worm. But let's talk, let's not just stay there. Let's talk about why this is a good thing and not just a bad, hateful thing. 
Let's talk about how this makes us rich in the process. Some of the people that I read in Scripture that I feel like, yeah, God was able to use so well and so clearly, always like one of these trends, these characteristics, is that these people like sometimes just really genuinely know that they are poor in spirit. I, I love how Abraham in Genesis 18 says, I, I who am but dust and ashes. Abraham's like, God, like, why me? Like, I'm nothing. Why? Like, this is amazing. Jacob in Genesis 32, he says, I am not worthy of the least of all the steadfast love and all, of, and all the faithfulness that you have shown your servant. And Jacob, I, like, I love that. I, I, that's right on, man. I, everyone needs to be saying that. Moses in Exodus 3, like really questioning God, like, God, why me? He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? It's like over and over and over again. He's like, who am I? Like, no, not me. Like, Lord, I'm just, do you know who I am? I'm just Moses. And I I love how Isaiah, he says, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And listen to me, listen to me, right? The reason why this is so beautiful isn't because this is another version of like self-hate. Like God never teaches us self-hate. Uh, plenty of us, even right now, who are listening to me, are, you hate yourself more than anyone else will ever hate you. And so we need to learn and we need to ask God for His grace to stop doing that. But the reason when we are like true, when we see ourselves for who we really are, that we have this tremendous need for a Savior, we realize that we, in this equation of us and God, we're the only ones saying that, that we're hate. Like, we're the only ones who are hating ourselves. And it opens us up when we really realize that we are poor in spirit. It opens us up to experience God's love, His promises, His grace, and His mercy. God never shouts hateful things at us. It's always the world, and it's always ourselves, and it's always our enemy. But remember back to Ephesians. When we realize that we're poor in spirit, we start to realize that like, every, all the promises that we got in Ephesians, that's a, God says that we are, have every spiritual blessing in Jesus, that we, the second we believe in Him, are called sons and daughters of the King, of the Almighty King, that the second we realize we're poor in spirit, we are called co-heirs with Christ. And that we're seated in the heavenlies with Jesus. Like they, all these are so beautiful. And the, and the promised, the thing that is beautifully promised to us here is that when we realize that we're poor in spirit, we realize that we have the kingdom of heaven. And with the, with the kingdom of heaven, we realize that we have this home with God, that He invites us to live with Him, that He says, you know, you can be yourself, you can experience healing. Just be with me and accept healing. That we are at this home, we are accepted. That Jesus says, you know, you don't have to be perfect because I was and I offer you my righteousness. You don't have to be winners. This isn't about being a group of winners all the time. No, it's about being real and being honest and being open and vulnerable and being known by one another and our God. It's like we we can accept this free gift of grace that Jesus offers us because he's saying, you don't have to be perfect. I was, 
Let me give you my righteousness. Join my family. Live with me. I love you. In this life, before you even die and go to heaven, this right now, we can experience God's kingdom right now, every day of our lives. John Stott, he writes this uh, about this and about the countercultural part of this calling, this beautiful promise. He says this, Thus, right at, ho- right at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus contradicted all human judgments and all nationalistic expectations of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is given to the poor, not the rich, the feeble, not the mighty, to children humble enough to accept it, not to soldiers who boast that they can obtain it by their own prowess. See, being poor in the kingdom is like going back to this childlike faith of saying, like, God, I, I want everything that you have for me. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to be right all the time. You cover me with your grace and with your love. And when I realize that I'm poor, I realize that it opens up this door for me to live in your mercy more and more. This isn't hate. This isn't us telling the world to hate themselves. No, because we have a God, a king who tells us that he loves us that he made us, that like a potter, he made each and every single one of us, that he put us together in our mother's wombs to know to trust him, to love him, to be with him, and to experience his blessing. And so in closing, let's talk a little bit more about the blessing received. The last thing that I want to point us to is two separate portions of Scripture that I feel so like really nicely encapsulates all of this and shows us what it really means to be poor in spirit. The first one comes to us out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 10, where God starts to ta- tell us like that, that we are these jars of clay. He says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made manifest in our bodies. That there is this like spiritual truth that when we realize that we are poor, we become so rich because we get His blessings. All of us are broken, like I already said. All of us are broken, but not everyone is blessed in their brokenness because they're not doing it with Jesus. But in our pursuit for Christ, we realize that like, we are all hurt. We are all being crushed, but none of us are being destroyed. We are all confused, but none of us are driven to despair. Like Life comes at us, the enemy comes at us, our own hearts come at us, but we are never too lost to be found because we are with the one who knows where we are, knows how much of him we need, and who made the way for us to experience his love and mercy all the time. And that we are also jars of clay, kept unperfect, to show other people that, you know, it's not about me, it's about Christ. I go against this religion of the self, right, of self-esteem, of self-reliance, self-sufficiency. It's like, no, no, this is all about Christ. This is all about Christ. My life is not lived for me, but it's lived for Christ what John the Baptist says, like less of that I might diminish so that you might increase. And I love that. I also love Isaiah 44. I read the first part of that verse, but let me finish it right now. Isaiah 41, verse 14. Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. 
I just love how, like, in, in, in one sentence, Jesus can say, call us a worm and say, you know what? I'm here to help you. I know that you're little. I know that you're broken. I know that you're small. And I'm not leaving you alone. I'm, I want to be with you in this. When you realize how poor in spirit you are, you open the door to actually come and live with me in my kingdom and in my home. Like, to realize that you're not perfect, that you're never all together, that you are poor that you bring little to the table, but God says, you know, I love it. I love all of you. I love you, and I want you to be with me, to live with me. And that's the gospel right there. That's the good news of Jesus, that when we finally come face to face with our limitations, with how broken that we truly are, God says to us, you know what? I love you. You're not small to me. I want you in my house. I want you in my kingdom. I want you to live life with me like he did all along. And so for us, the first beatitude is for us to realize that we are not all that, that we are not as good as we think we are, that at the best of what I have to offer, me, Pedro Ruiz, compared to him is useless. He wants it. He calls it. He, he like planned to communicate his good news through all of us. But man, I'm also so grateful that I have a God who says, you know what? In your weaknesses, I'm made strong. That I, I, I can make you perfect at the snap of my finger, but I choose this way. And one day you'll be whole. You won't lack anything else, but trust me for the rest right now. And so City Life and visitors, anyone who might be watching this or with us, uh, blessed are you when you realize that you are poor in spirit. And the blessing that you get when you really re- realize it and when you really live it out is that you realize that you're living with God all along. And yeah, it won't be perfect on this side of heaven. The sanctification process goes on, and I beg Jesus to make me more like him every day. But I thank God that I'm doing it with him, with the one who knows that I'm very little, but he makes me very big. He makes me very strong, and it's all for his glory and for us to communicate to the world, to show others that we're different, not because of us, but because of him. And so, church, we love you. Can't wait for us to be together again. If you're interested in coming to one of our in-person sites, uh, services, go on our webpage. It's, it's in the description. It's in the notes of how to find the directions to get there. Email us at info at citylifenj.com. Email me directly at preece at citylifenj.com. You can find all of that on our website. We just want to connect with you. We want to be church with you. And, um, and we love you. Join our MCs our prayer calls, and uh, we'll see each other very soon. Love you all.